Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to The Drake Podcast Show. This episode was made possible for our station sponsor, E-Bike Boys. For all your latest electric biking needs, visit E-Bike Boys at their showroom today at 418 Canterbury Road, Campsie and 69 King Street, Newtown. And now get ready to be blessed with your host, Dom. Season 2 starts now. And after consulting you, the audience at home this week, the votes are back. We need to talk about Love More Australia and how we, the church, can facilitate and grow in healthy relationships again. So, in a few moments' time, I'm going to introduce you to a no-holds-barred, unapologetically outspoken man of the faith in Melbourne, Alf Hickey, and talk on exactly that, relationships and Christian slips. And it's over to you, Alf. John, it's such a blessing to talk with you about it because, yeah, we've talked about lots and lots of things. I don't think we've talked about this one before, have we? I don't believe we have. And it's funny, just to get a context and a a backstory where me and Alf come from, we've been on a a beautiful prayer network during, I guess you could call it this period of transition and refining here in uh, in Sydney and, and in Melbourne. And we just really hit it off with just being raw, honest blokes that are giving it a stab for God and for the kingdom. And uh, not everybody likes a prophet's tongue sometimes. It's such a blessing to kick off season two, episode one tonight with yours truly, uh, Alf. So Alf, my first question to get things rolling today is why does the church not celebrate the gift of singleness anymore? I think it's because it doesn't understand what singleness actually is. I don't think it understands what marriage is sometimes. I don't think... um, uh, we really understand it, or we don't actually follow what Jesus tells us, what the Bible says about it, or we, we tend not to test it properly. Yeah, we don't think about it enough. We just, I think we've just gotten stuck in this uh, cultural normality of it. Oh, you know, some people have weddings every now and then, and you know, a minister goes and uh, presides over it, and that's marriage, and then uh, all the rest is, uh, you know. <laughs> hidden behind walls that uh, sometimes <laughs> gets revealed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems to be a but, lot of that um, going on right now, doesn't it? A lot of hypocrisy and a lot of niceness, but behind that niceness we know is a facade of a lot of terrible stories of people feeling somewhat trapped in marriage and, and relationships respectfully, and um, I'm sure you've experienced that yourself. If you're happy to go ahead and share some of that stuff to help others today that might be going through a similar battle. The time I had this girl that I was so in love with and with so intimate, that what happened was um, I said, I worship you, and I replaced my intimacy for God with her. And he, um, I believe he broke up the relationship like the next sort of day. Yeah, and we've been going out for two years, and I, I was so in love with that girl. What did that do to you at the time? It must have destroyed you. Oh, man, I was wrecked. I was wrecked for, like, a couple of years after that. But I wasn't the same for a while. Yeah, and this, this is the other thing. We've got to be careful with sin. It's not just, you know, sexual sin. Look, my, my experiences have been positive and negative, and uh, a lot in between. So my, my parents, you know, they had a stable marriage in terms of, you know, a life commitment, starting with sex. They had a wedding and all that, even though, uh, you know, dad being a, a theologian and a, a pioneer missionary uh, accepted that marriage was not a wedding. Mm. Yeah, the, the oneness in the Bible is, uh, is, a, is a lifetime 
with uh, a partner uh, started sexually and, and done and exclusively a sexual to that person. And, uh, you know, they share a bed, they share a house, they are one. So the two are one. It even goes as far as saying that God doesn't call one person apart from a partner because they are one. Yeah. So uh, marriage isn't just uh, sex. Sex is definitely the start of it. So in a sense, sex is like almost like the ritual um, of marriage, the consummation of something else. And then the Jews, even in Christ's time, were betrothed. So Mary would have been betrothed to Joseph. And um, yeah, in a sense, they even cohabitated for, I think it was a year before they got married. But it's it wasn't cohabitating the same bed, I believe. <laughs> Even though technically it probably wouldn't have mattered because, yeah, the, the embarrassment about Mary is that she's uh, a virgin who is pregnant. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the whole thing of when does marriage start is, is, is a curious from biblically. Would you say then, Alf, that it would be safe to assume that Mary was still pursuing the gift of holiness whilst being single because she was only cohabitating with Joseph at the time and not actually in a sexual relationship or intimately otherwise. Was she trying to be pure? Yes, of course. We're all trying to be pure, even in marriage and uh, even outside marriage and even with our brothers and sisters and outside the world. Purity, sex isn't impurity though. Sex in itself is um, is a beautiful thing that God has created. I mean, He gave us genitals. I mean, they're, they're His design. He, he molded <laughs> them out of the clay. That's right. He molded our penis out of the clay. <laughs> 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 so, uh. you know, our, yeah, our, our God has made us very well, and, and it was good. And we are designed to have sex. The, um, the question about Mary is, I don't think sex is actually so relevant with it. I actually think the whole point of her being virgin was to show that it was God's miraculous hand in in her um, in her pregnancy. Much the same as Elias and Elizabeth. That's a good question, but I know that John was leaping in the womb. Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, when Mary, uh, when when Jesus was in the womb, uh, with Mary and. Uh, she goes near uh, Elizabeth, the, the child jumps. There was yeah. some uh, uh, precognition that uh, it shows maybe that fetuses uh, maybe aren't that dumb mm. and they, they have knowledge, but, um, but also that the Holy Spirit was also already in those kids. You know, the Holy Spirit was uh, already doing his work in them, and, and that's what the Bible says is um, Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we need to remember the Holy Spirit was active in all these events and uh, is the agent of uh, teaching knowledge uh, uh, and always uh, speaks to Christ, as we, we see later on Revelation 29 and 10. Yeah, uh, all prophecy uh, is from the Holy Spirit and always talks about Jesus. He is the spirit of prophecy after all, isn't he? No, oh, amen. Jesus explained that even healing in his life or he explained about him were, were there to actually glorify the Father and to also show who he was. So yeah, the, the people who had illnesses, some of them had illnesses merely that God would show, prove that uh, Jesus was God by some of those healings so that people would know that he was different and that he was the Messiah, that the Messiah would have those sort of powers. 
Yeah, the Holy Spirit was active in that as well. Mm. So even even in that, we say that the Holy Spirit was glorifying Jesus in those events and in those healings and in what was going on there as well. Every everything uh, you know to reveal and to um, make things clear to people. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is always active in those things. The same with sex. Moving over to the next question that I've just been dying to ask you, and I'm sure my audience has really gauged with me recently about the the rawness of love, but being aligned with God's perfect will versus permissive will, the impatient spirit that we're seeing right now uh, comes to mind first. What can you say about perfect will and permissive will and the outcomes of those two very different and significant, I guess, you know, endings for people where they trust God? Or they run ahead of God, and God allows it, but it doesn't always mean it's going to be the best. Yeah, it's a funny one. I don't want to get into predestination. <laughs> I'll avoid that like the, the play today. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we do know that God has a plan. Everything is under control, and He knows the future. Uh, at least a little bit from Jesus. When Jesus said He didn't know the day nor the hour. He lived that to the Father. So there's a suggestion that the Trinity have different roles and different knowledge and, and different agencies so they can decide things on their own but the others um, are one in that and but the same plan uh, continues all the way through history so it's always going to go in one direction and those big benchmarks uh, like the end uh, day of judgment um, you know the new heavens and new earth is, is always preset yeah. and uh, it also says about our salvation but uh, the suggestion is it's also about our partners in life, our roles too. And um, you know, God, God has these things in plan. But the, the permissive thing is interesting. I was thinking about it. Like I, I was thinking, well, you know, uh, God lets sin happen. And then uh, what do we do with that? <laughs> you know, a lot of people say, oh, that's evidence that God doesn't exist because, you know, if he was God, he, he wouldn't let that happen. He wouldn't let that person suffer. And, you know, this sort of thinking. But, uh, that's actually not how it works. Without God actually lacking those things happen, without us having suffering, without us turning from Him, without us, uh, I say sin is giving God the finger, so without us giving you know, God the finger opposing Him, He wouldn't actually be able to prove His love to us. I think we should talk about love at some point, John. The reason why I'm opening up these two questions is to, is to, to peel the onion. There's just so many layers on what real love is and i'm sure you've been passionately you know divided by a lot of things that the church is currently not doing so healthfully in this department and are doing better in others respectfully and uh that can determine you know what congregation you're a part of currently non-denominationally speaking though would you say that we could go even deeper with this perfect will topic and ask if it is at all possible to go back to the garden with Adam and Eve, pre-sin. So there'd be divine health, there'd be divine love, there'd be perfect, uh, there'd be a perfection in relation to the will and the call of that person on their life under God because sin has not come in and therefore devastated the beauty and the state of perfection that God originally wanted for his creation to imitate accordingly. It's an interesting question. Um, Can we attain perfection? The obvious answer is no, not not in our strength, but in God's mind, yes. Yeah, He says He'll He'll forgive our sins as far as the east is from the west if we really repent, if we really are changed, if we really 
turn to him and really love and follow him. So in a sense, you know, that there is no memory of the past. So mm. yeah, we're perfect. Wow. Perfect in that sense. Yeah, because there is no history. There is just being in him. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's a big revelation. Do you have the passage of the scripture just so we can quote that to the viewers today if they're interested in going and studying that themselves? Around how there's no record of right or wrong anymore. Folks, this is what I like to do sometimes well, with my guests. I, I put them on the spot a little bit just to make it a little more spontaneous and fun for you tuning in. And it also just shows that whole characterization of be ready to give account of your faith, right? Be ready to talk about this real love to people when they ask, who do you follow and who sent you? Because you never know the day or the hour that Jesus Christ will come knocking on the door and return to this earth. And we want to be prepared in the faith, right? So that's why I do this. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a training exercise for you no, fellow no, you believers. Do it, John. Absolutely. Do it. I should know those things off the top, you know, top of my tongue. Yeah, you should. But, uh, I mean, uh, I'm not judging you. Or am I? <laughs> no, you should. You know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just, uh, forgive our sins as far as the east is from the west. Yeah. I'll look up again. God forgives our sins as far as the east is from the west. Bible help. It's saying, you should have remembered that, Al. <laughs> you can always ask Uncle Google if all else fails, Alf. I won't hold it in against you, mate. Psalm 103.12. Beautiful. Would you like to read that? Which version would you like? <laughs> it honestly does not faze me. Whatever one you read at home. Yeah, I like the Brevos. The Brevos had a big influence on a lot of things in a good way. So um, the Berean study Bible. As far as the east is from the west, so far... Has he removed our transgressions from us? He forgets them. Um, God actually forgets. That's the beauty of repentance and uh, salvation. He, he doesn't hold it against us. His love doesn't want to hold it against us. You know, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, I talked about, you know, it, it keeps no record of wrong. Mm. Love. Love that. So, uh, yeah. And it's also a, uh, it tends to be a, a thing of, uh, an eschatological thing, like a thing of the, the final things or the, the end time or the end days, or the, you know, even judgment, because, um, it says now we're into a mirror darkly, then we'll see face to face. We're not perfect now. So, you know, Jesus says you're going to have trouble in this world, but, uh, courage, I, I've conquered it. You know, I've conquered the world, you know. Yeah. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 suggests that Jesus is still fighting to take over everything. And uh, he is the Lord of all. That is his his role and his uh, position. But there's still opposition and resistance to, uh, well, his plan, God's plan, which is love, which is that everybody is unified in this one beautiful way of thinking, perfection, um, around Jesus. And it's not a perfection of control. It is a perfection where our heart actually has a desire to serve another person uh, for their joy and best interest. It's unselfish. It's um, aligned to the way God thinks in our design. And that's uh, the eternal design, which uh, everything physical only reflects. And so, um, yeah, we, we've got we know what's going to happen. We know um, what's going on. The thing is, what do we do 
in that time? <laughs> what can we do in the practical here and now? You know, what what is sex and marriage in, in the here and now? Where where does it fit given what's going on? <laughs> I got to say, when uh, you know, the world is depopulating and the devil's plan is going well ahead of time, I think we need to put our focus back on love and and repopulating, not just in the in the physical and the biological, but the spiritual too. Like, how can we grow deeper in our intimacy with God, not just with people, but out of that, the overflow of that decision with going deeper with God equals and equates to more healthy and flourishing relationships in the church. After the break, yeah. me and Alf are going to be talking about that very staggering question that still has such a big fat question mark attached. How do we grow deeper and more intimate with the Father above? Thanks for joining the Drake Podcast Show, Season 2, Episode 1. We'll be back after a short advertising break. My dual battery bike is so comfortable it goes 0 to 42 k's in seconds and the battery charges in no time at all. So like a lot of inner city dwellers, I can be back on the road doing what I love without the taxing period of waiting and waiting for my battery to fully charge. And with e-bike boys expanding their showroom on Canterbury Road, we have a special offer for my Sydney viewers. The Auto MX2000 and T8 are both starting from as small as $500. That's a whopping saving of more than half the original price. To organise a test drive today, head over to e-bike boys showroom at 418 Canterbury Road, Campsie and 69 King Street, Newtown. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Drake Podcast Show. A moment ago, me and Alf Hickey from Melbourne, Australia were talking about some pretty controversial but healthy topics around raw love, sexuality, relationships, and more. So let's get straight back into it. Question five and question six, is marriage biblical and what is deeper intimacy? Over to you, Alf. Marriage is very biblical. In terms of oneness being marriage, we've got to understand it's not all just sex. While sex might start marriage for a male and a female, and in some ways uh, that sexual imagery is, is there right from the beginning through to the end, this, uh, this concept of blood, um, you know, the first step, it's almost like, you know, when Jesus dies for our sins and said, it is finished, the temple tears in two. A lot of people sort of see that as like a, a symbol of, um, uh, you know, a woman losing her virginity and sometimes <laughs> they bleed sort of thing. And uh, wow. it's, it's actually the, the blood of her sex, which opens the woman up to the man. Mm. So, you know, the, God can be with his people again. It's, it's sort of a sexual image. And I, I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, you know, I don't believe it's any coincidence that the Jews, uh, you know, circumcised their penis to represent Jesus. So Paul said, so... It was always a symbol, a sexual symbol, a reminder of what it represents and what, what it's about. This blood idea um, and the new birth that comes from, uh, you know, the oneness between the man and the woman or, mm. you know, of his Christ in his church creates something new, a new creation, uh, being born again. And that's not just individually. That's actually as, as a collective as well, we're born again. So Israel is even born again. And so um, it's a new people, a new thing, new creation. And in heaven we get a new body, but there's also a new Jerusalem that uh, we commune in. So a new place. And, and it seems that the, the symbol of the woman and us collectively is that new Jerusalem, the new holy place of God. And 
God enters uh, his realm, which is, which is our abode, our home, almost prepared for him. You know, we've, we've been uh, telling his word to everybody. We've been opening it up and, and basically creating a home for our Lord. Yeah. And it works vice versa too. He's been creating a home for us. So, you know, there's as many rooms and he's uh, preparing all these things in his, his father's house. In, in Jewish culture, the, the, it was the woman's home. You know, Psalm 31 you know, talks about her home, her bed, her stuff. So God's coming to something that we're also creating. Of course, that's only by the power of his Holy Spirit that he's given us. Still, his power, his grace, his stuff, what do we do with it? You know, it talks about giving us gifts and giving us this or that and uh, you know, the talent. Do we really uh, do good with what God has given us, the stuff that he's given us to, to bless? Others and to glorify him, or you know, what sex is the same. And uh, you got to remember, and this is a problem with the idea of celibacy and, and the idea of singleness, is that the whole point of right from the beginning was reproduce and multiply. Yeah, be fruitful and multiply yeah. all ye nations. Yeah, amen. and uh, more than that, um, you know, the, the promise to Abraham was to have descendants as many as the. Uh, you know, stars in the sky are the, you know, all these hyperbolic sort of, uh, concepts of, you know, almost innumerable descendants. So the whole point of, of Israel in a sense and the, and the blessing of God was to reproduce. And, uh, we say that again in Malachi, uh, 2.15. The whole point, um, God says, what, what, God says, what, what do I want? I want godly offspring. And uh, this isn't just a sexual thing. I mean, you can have sex and make babies and, and, you know, you can teach them to do bad stuff and turn away from God and they go to hell. But that's not godly offspring. Sorry to interrupt, but it, I think this is important to, you know, note with what Alpha's just saying about having sex and having babies. But I just saw this picture right now of like a voidness of love in that creation story. And people that bring children into, uh, you know, the world with uh, underlying pain or underlying suffering or feeling of obligation, but they don't do it out of love. You are just a clanging symbol to the rest of this world and you are not able to be as powerful. In fact, I believe that people are rendered powerless in the church today because they're not honoring that good, good gift that God's given of sex in marriage within marriage in the hope for and the procreation of children. And uh, this is just one of the the reasons why the church is so, I guess, uh, weak today in the area of love and loving others because their cup is not full at home in their own bedrooms. And uh, there's no shame talking about this today, friends. If you feel like your cheeks are going to blush, well, you're in for something more today (laughs) with me and Alf because we are men that are not holding back what needs to be chatted about at the church today, being one of the seven churches and going into the end times a little bit more just with you guys today to understand the context. We can't hold back because we don't know how much more time we have on this platform and we want to honor God accordingly on it. And uh, that's what we're doing today. Day. So back to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, intimacy, hey. Yeah. Yeah, so love, love. It's, it's, God wants godly offspring. But the question is, what is that? And uh, it comes back to the question of intimacy. What is intimacy with God? What has He designed us for? You know, Jesus calls us His friends. You know, there's no, He says there's no greater love uh, than a person that gives up their life for their friends. And He's talking about Himself. He loves us. In, in his mind, we are his friends. He wants that 
Now, it's up to us what we do in response to that love. You know, it says we love him because he first loved us. And what is that love? You know, Jesus tells us, you know, he tells us things like, um, you know, the sheep and the goats. I love that Keith Green song, you know, as much as you did it to the very least of uh, my brethren, so you did it to me. So God, uh, Jesus, God identifies himself with the least of the brethren because that's how we treated him. You know, he says, well, what is the greatest love? Or what are the greatest commandments, the greatest law? And it's uh, to love God essentially with your all and uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, uh, uh, I have a new commandment. I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Amen. So, yeah, love starts with God, one. Yeah. And then others. And then loving others as ourselves. And then uh, hopefully they're into the kingdom. And then uh, we love our brothers. We love, love them as much as Christ has loved us. Uh, and uh, laid down his life to, to save us. So there is a sense of sacrifice in love. Love isn't this, uh, you know, oh, I, I want to have sex with that person, and uh, that's love. Yay. Love, love is, um, you know, oh, that person's ugly. They're broken. And uh, they're sinful. And um, wow. they oppose me. And I'm still going to, consider them and try to win them over as my friend <laughs> and, yeah well it's and, funny um, isn't it like you you think about like your best friend like being like family and what do we have in common with friends and family we always at each other's throats at the best of times and it's like if you could truly love someone at the end of that and still stick around and be loyal to them like that that is the sacrificial love i believe jesus died for for us to experience and to participate in as we ought to as believers and servants to him, right? Amen. Yeah, I mean, it's a really important point that, you know, God died for us uh, to save us, and we are not a beautiful thing. But we do see later on, Revelation, <laughs> that we will become a beautiful thing, that we will uh, be perfect. I mean, it talks about, you know, the false church. It says, uh, you know, at the moment, the, the wheat and the tares are, are sown in there, and and the question is asked, well, should we tear out the weeds? But the answer is no. Uh, you know, the farmer says no, because the, uh, you know, you'll tear out the good ones with it. So you let them grow together, and at judgment, at the end, they get sorted. I don't know if I agree to that, well, because just the other day, in my quiet time with God, I was reading 1 Corinthians. And um, if you don't mind, I yeah. might actually get it out just to, so I'm not, you know, saying anything unbiblical here or heretical dare I are we, do that? We, we're going to do we, we, we're going to do a real Bible bash mate let's, let's bring it on it's uh, <laughs> an, an Anglican and a uh, and a Pentecostal walk into a room and uh, end up being the very best of friends even though they have a little bit of a bash about you know certain theological indifferences and see that is true love their friend a, an example right now where me and Alf might not agree eye to eye on absolutely everything we, did, we, we partake in today we can still be friends mm. And I think that this is the example of kingdom culture that we want to breed into all of our congregations at home respectfully, right? So as I go into the Book of One Corinthians, I don't want you to think that this is just Dom or Alf reading out of their own mouths, but this is conviction itself speaking. This is truth, the spirit of truth, which is in fact Jesus Christ, the Son on the cross. So I hope that you catch this in your spirit today as much as I have 
and I'm sure Alf has two in his own time respectfully. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 5.13, all right? What right do I have to pronounce judgment on unbelievers? I'm reading out the Passion Translation, page 451, if you, you, you're you tuning in at home and you've got that book with you. What right do I have to pronounce judgment on unbelievers? That God's respons- That's God's responsibility. But those who are inside the church family are our responsibility to discern and judge. So it's your duty, Alf to remove that wicked one from among you. Now, it kind of contradicts, I've got to say, what you said a few moments ago to myself and to the audience about the tares and the wheat and how they'll be judged accordingly and separated into their own class of sin and sinfulness um, when they're judged at the great right throne room. I I don't think that that's what God's saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's a problematic one. Look, the problem is we don't know who the sinners are. Okay. A lot of the time, okay. I mean, yeah, God, God does give us discernment at times. Like, but He's the ultimate; uh, He's the discerner. It's not us, even even for a prophet. The prophet is only God's mouthpiece, so the prophet will be speaking God's words, what He wants to say to a people. So when Ananias and Sapphira, um, you know, are called out for their secret sin, um, and uh, Paul is made aware of it, that's God telling Paul. Um, you know, what they've done. And Paul says, you know, how do you think you can get away with lying to God? You know, they're, they're lying to God. And uh, they fall down dead. So, you know, judgment is happening in the, the house of God. The Bible does say judgment starts in the house of okay. God. And it's even stronger than that. It says, um, you know, we are given a lot more than what Israel had in Jesus. Okay? In Jesus, we are given so much more in our day and age than what Israel or Nineveh or any of those guys really has. Okay, we've been given the cross um, happening before our time, so we know it's historical and we know, you know the fulfilment of all the prophecy in the Old Testament and the, the Holy Spirit and that. So it says if you've been given that, how much more is God going to judge you in comparison to them? Because you, you really should know better. So yeah, judgment is now. It also says uh, we'll be. Um, uh, we're disciplined now. So here's the other thing, uh, Dom. It, it's not just us judging. I mean, we, we have to call out sin. We have to uh, exclude the immoral brother, it says. So if, if yeah. someone is being actively immoral, um, you've got to kick him out. The question is, what is that? I mean, in, in the um, in the context of that story, it was, uh, I think, people doing incest in their family. And um, it was considered really extreme sin, even for the um, Gentiles or the, the pagans that said, uh, found it uh, disgusting. And, and so, you know, it was bringing disrepute to the church. But worse, um, Paul says it was, uh, you know, it was uh, polluting the whole batch of dough. So instead of it being, um, you know, unleavened bread, you know, what God wants, uh, something that's, that's pure, it was uh, being polluted by all this uh, leaven uh, of the world. and um, that's a really crimpy God thing. Yeah, so we have to be very careful about uh, calling out sin, rebuking sin, repenting of it, um, and this sort of thing, because it does affect everyone, ultimately. Absolutely. It affects and the whole body. When there's tears, Absolutely. when there's wolves in sheep's clothing in the church today, and I, for one, was accused of being a wolf not so long ago, I know how detrimental it can be on you feeling a welcoming spirit and coming into a church if you've done something that's shameful or 
a little separatist to the the way or the culture or the way things are done in the church today. But I want to let you know that we can't forget that we have to protect the flock at all times. And there are demons and there are, um, you know, archangels and there are people who are opposing the gospel and are in the church and have been in the church from birth to up. And we haven't challenged that. And see, that's where some sin becomes acceptable today. And that, my friend, like there's just no excuses. We've got to call it out. If, if something is wicked, if something is dark, if something is causing the rest of the sheep to stumble, we have to get rid of it. And even if that's your pastor, I mean, at the end of the day, they'll be held accountable to God at the end of this. But we also, as the elders and the deacons and the apostles of the day, we, we can't expect... <laughs> And prophets, exactly, and teachers. We can't expect that we won't be dragged into that equation when God asks us these very firm words. Where were you and what were you doing when I prompted you and the Holy Spirit guided you and showed you and exposed, in fact, that that thing that that person was saying was detriment to the morality and the compass of the church at the time. Immorality is a sin and it's a putrid one that doesn't just hurt God, but it hurts our bodies and others that were in partake that sexual act in as well. So I don't know, man. What do you think? So we have to respond to that sometimes more than anything, especially when it does come into the church. And um, anything that goes against God's scripture so clearly stated in his design for Mm. a man and woman is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Oh, wow. When, yeah, because it is the Word of God, it is Jesus speaking through the Holy Spirit, and it is for His glory, and as much as the Pharisees were, Jesus was uh, telling them, you know, you, you don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit working through me, it's exactly the same, because Scripture is exactly the same, it is a prophetic word as much as Jesus was speaking it, from the Holy Spirit within Him, mm. uh, irrespective of Him being God Himself. Um, they work together. Same, same thing, and uh, the uh, yeah. So I don't know where I got that from. I think that was a word from God, but it was um, it's been honouring and, and glorified. Jesus. I don't know where it came from, but it's um, it set that issue straight. I think. Well, that got raw and confronting for some of my audience today, but I don't think confrontation is necessarily a negative thing. As you heard from my guest today, in fact, honesty and discernment can edify and honor the body that much more than avoiding a conversation with somebody you might like. That was episode one of season two of the Drake Podcast Show. And wow, Alf Hickey, you really lifted the lid for this new season on Raw Love. Can I just say, sorry to anyone that was offended, not sorry, God speaks to anybody, the whosoevers, the people that are often blacklisted because the prophet's voice can be a dagger in the heart of some of you that are still sitting on the fence about how to have healthy, flourishing, normal conversations about love, sex, marriage, and just honoring the beautiful sacredness of the altar of God today. So Alf, once more, thank you so much, mate, for coming on to talk about a can of worms today and something that I just want to normalize in kingdom culture from this point on earth until the next time we meet, whether that be in eternity or in person, mate. 
If you missed last week's episode, then head over to iHeartRadio and Spotify to catch up on them now. Now for some family business, I have some big news to share with all of you. And to be on the safe side, you might need to be seated for the next announcement. Ready? The Drake Podcast Show is heading over to Apple Podcast subscriptions. So for all of you wanting to listen to bonus members-only content, including hilarious outtakes and fast-track premiere episodes of this show, you will need to sign up to my annual subscription box today. Click on the Apple Podcast link in the episode description to get started. To everyone else, good night.